a part of the incomparable family of podcasts. I'm Trish Yim. I'm Alan Yu. I'm Scott Grizzle. And I'm Brianna Teuber. And today we are going to be talking about episode six of season three called Midvale. And we have a special report from Ace Field reporter for Catco Worldwide Media, David Zorel. Take it away, David. This is David, and here's my recap. A-plot. Kara takes Alex home to help Alex, but everyone just talks about Kara's feelings. After sleeping, Alex seems to be on the road to recovery, and maybe Kara too? B-plot. Ten years ago. Kara's recently joined the Danvers, but Alex and her don't get along. A boy at their school is killed, and it's up to Supergirl Detective Kara and Alex to solve the mystery. After bringing down an obnoxious, pot-smoking jock and a sexual predator, they catch the corrupt cop who killed Kenny. Kara and Alex learn to appreciate each other, and Kara starts to accept her new home on Earth. Okay, thanks for that recap, David. So, we have two two plots, as he said. We have Kara and Maggie dealing supposedly with Maggie's heartbreak, but also Kara's heartbreak gets a lot of time, too. And we also get a nice flashback episode to when they were girls learning to be sisters together. Uh, just for general thoughts, I enjoyed the episode. I don't see it as really necessary, but it was a nice little diversion. What do y'all think? You met Kara and Alex, right? Oh, gee. <laughs> I sure did, silly Trish. Um, yes. Okay, it's been one of those days. <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> anyway, yes, of course, I meant Kara and Alex, the Danvers sisters. So someone else talk, please. <laughs> so I really like this sort of self-contained story. I mean, as you said, Trisha completely breaks without usual Supergirl programming. It really has not much to do with the current plot, but it's a nice change of pace and it gives us, I think the value is that it gives us more context for Alex and Kara's relationship. And seeing as that, for me, is one of the foundations of the show and part of what makes this show so good, uh, I like that they you know, took an episode to delve into that a little bit more and to give us sort of an extended flashback that uh, tells us more about how uh, they developed this bond that we now see in the present timeline. Yeah, and I think one thing that David was trying to point out is that the B-plot uh, is supposed to be causing this resolution where Alex is better by the end of the episode, but it doesn't really explain how does that flashback make things better for, for Alex, really. I feel like the flashback was to show that Kara and Alex haven't always gotten along, because so far it seems like they've been best friends since they met, but it was kind of nice to see that, in a way, they did have a normal sister relationship where for a period of time they didn't get along. They didn't see eye-to-eye and they didn't understand each other, and then they went through this trial where they were where it sort of taught them the value, how much they valued each other. So it's just sort of to show how even though sometimes they fight like they did in, like, in the beginning of the episode, that they do work through things. But yes, they also fight because they're sisters. I really did like their fighting at the beginning, or arguing at the beginning of the episode. I thought that... Uh, Alex was perfectly valid in telling Kara that, you know, you don't get to tell me 
it's going to be better because you're still, you know, withdrawn and, and, you know, you took six months to get over Monel, and it's not fair for you to just tell me to perk right up again. Yeah, because different people grieve differently and sometimes you never get over it. Right. You learn how to live with it, but you never really give up, get over certain things. Yeah. And Kara told Alex, you are edging on mean drunk, and I only signed on for sad drunk. And while I understand it's not fun to deal with someone who is bitter and angry, you know, you also, that's edging on telling Alex how to grieve, which is not exactly cool either. So is the flashback supposed to be Alex remembering the story? Is that how it's supposed to be working, or is it just a complete derailment purely for the viewer? I think it was a mixture of a derailment for the viewer. It also gave context for, like, the, the telescope at the end, and it showed that they have both been having to deal with loss for a long time. Because they were pretty young when that went, when the thing happened where Kara's friend was murdered. And that that's... Pretty tough, and something most people never deal with. Yeah, and I actually quite enjoy reading the AV Club reviews, and one of the points that uh, the person made uh, is that, you know, she couldn't believe that a dead high school student left on the side of the road that doesn't leave the school more devastated and traumatized, which I think is, you know, kind of a fair point to make, that, you know, um, for some reason we, we don't see people kind of more shaken up by this. But, you know, and to me it seemed... It didn't jump out because I'm still watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer where people die with in all kinds of gruesome ways every single episode. So, you know, uh, I, I, I think it is uh, kind of weird that, you know, that the school doesn't respond uh, more outwardly to one of their students being murdered and left on the side of the road. And a lot of the students were just being incredibly disrespectful about it because a kid was murdered and left on the side of the road and they're laughing and saying he deserved it. That's just absolutely ridiculous. But you could probably make an argument that the reason they treated it like that and just a lot of them just sort of brushed it off is because he was an outsider. Right. Well, high school kids certainly can be incredibly cruel. And uh, I'm not sure they knew at the beginning that it had been a murder. They might have just thought it was an accident, a, ca- a car accident or something. But yes, he wasn't popular before he died. So that would certainly make it easier to brush it off after he died um, with just the little locker memorial of him. So, you know, I didn't find it incredible as an unbelievable i i just you know it it actually i didn't have any problem with that part of the plot tonight (laughs) and going to the beginning of the episode i just had one question which was does no one own a car the only vehicle they can use is uh john jones's spaceship i thought that was pretty weird you'd think that for her cover as a reporter Kara would have a car, you know, not making it obvious that she flies everywhere. But uh, I don't know, maybe maybe National City has a good metro system. <laughs> I didn't realize at first that that was his spaceship. But now that you mention it, yeah, that, that was weird. I was just thinking, that's an 
oddly nice car for Kara to have. Because she had a nice car, I would never have expected it to be that car. Maybe that's part of how Kara and Alex can afford their giant apartments if they don't have cars to maintain. Yeah, I think if they live in a big city, they can probably not get around without having a car. Yeah, I just thought it was strange that of all the vehicles and all their friends, (laughs) and the only one they can borrow is one that's actually a spaceship and not not even a car. So, you know, you would think Wynn would have like a, you know, Honda Civic hatchback or something they could use. (laughs) Right, or even sign out a DEO vehicle for a few days. I don't think that would be too much of an abuse. (laughs) It was a really pretty car, though. You have to admit, that was a a really nice car, and it also had the added thing of going on a road trip in a convertible with the top down the entire time. Well, and they also start the episode by saying, hey, DEO, you're just going to have to save the world without us. Uh, Your top field agent and your only superhero on staff are going to go take a vacation. That seems a little inconvenient. Yeah, it does kind of conflict with uh, Kara's attitude this season that she has to save everybody from everything. And now she just, you know, pretty blithely calls in that they're going to be gone. <laughs> well, she's saving Alex, though, right? So, I mean, I guess she, she finds that important more so than any of her own personal emotional needs. Maybe she's doing for Alex what she wished someone had done for her. Hmm. Because sometimes it's hard to tell people what you need when you're dealing with a tough situation, but also a lot of people depend on you. And also she knows Alex well, so she knew that going home would be the best thing for her. So she was, in a way, and maybe she wanted to go home and see her mom because she knew it would help her too. We kind of get that pointed out by Eliza uh, when she tells Kara, I'm actually more worried about you, Kara, than I am about Maggie, um, which I, I, I know I know Kara is the center of the universe, but <laughs> it seemed just a little a little um, it, it made me flinch a little bit because, um, you know, Kara has had six months to deal with it and has had made, made the choice of uh, shoving people away. But anyway, uh, Ma, uh, Eliza says she she's more worried about Kara than Alex. I have apparently conflated those two women in my mind and I need to stop it since they're not a couple anymore. Anyway, so <laughs> Eliza says Kara is wide open for other people's needs, but closed off to their to her own pain and Kara again reiterates that she's not a human she doesn't apparently have the emotions quite the same way that humans do and anyway there are too many other people that uh, depend on her for her to give in to her own own emotions hmm. I I think part of the reason that Eliza's more worried about the situation between Kara and Monel then with Alex and Maggie is because yes, Alex and Maggie are separated, but it was both of them on their own terms, and Maggie's still alive and around, we're assuming, but with the whole thing with Kara and Monel, Kara had to make that decision. And there 
as far as we know, we haven't had any contact with him. We don't know if he's still alive. So she is like, she's having to deal with not only his loss, but the fact that she made the decision and she has literally no idea if she will ever see him again. So it is different because dealing with the the whole thing of I'm never, I don't know if I'll ever see you again is stressful. And I have to admit, as a viewer, I have trouble feeling the gravity of either situation when we're watching a, a series of TV shows where even death, where you watch them die, doesn't actually keep them off the show. They still come mm-hmm. back later. So, you know, is the relationship really over? Is Monel really gone? You know, I, I don't feel the gravity that the characters do because there is no permanence to, to anything in the you know, superhero TV sometimes. Yeah, but we still don't know how exact how exactly are they going to come back? Because there's lots of things people that writers can do to characters off screen. Yeah, I haven't had too much of a problem yet with watching Supergirl and suspending my disbelief. You know, I'm 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 not. I I think the actors are selling the characters' dilemmas. Certainly, well enough for me. Um, selling, you know, putting putting across their emotions. Oh, and by the way, I did like the uh, the actresses that they found for young Kara and young Alex today. What did y'all think of them? I think they both worked really well. Like it, it was definitely interesting seeing new faces with them that weren't fr- like it wasn't the same act for Kara's when she first arrived. And it was interesting. I thought they worked really well. They look exactly like, you know, younger versions of Alex and Kara. And they themselves are, are you know, good actors in their own right. And so, you know, they, they, they did a good job of, of showing how I would imagine, like, a high school version of Alex and Kara to act. Yeah, I thought they're, they're acting, you know, they really acted the characters, not just, you know, look like. Right. So while we're uh, in the now that we're talking about the flashback, I just have a like a one minor thing to bring up. Do they really not have two bathrooms in this gigantic house that they live in? <laughs> that is, that's actually a good question because most, if you have a big house, there's got there's a bath, at least one bathroom for the bedrooms, and then there's a guest bathroom, and then the master bathroom. Yeah, and, and my guess with that is that it's it's one of those houses that has a main bathroom and then like a bathroom in the master, and that's you know mom's bathroom, and so the girls you know they share the one in the hallway. So there may be other bathrooms, but that's the one that they share. And that might be the only one that's not mom's that has a shower. Right, right. That would make sense. But, you know, it also did feel just slightly lazy about, oh, let's have them fighting about something trivial, too. Girls always fight over bathrooms, right? Let's throw in a few lines about that without even showing uh, a scene where, you know, someone was knocking on the door waiting for the bathroom. But it was a minor point, so (laughs) I'm okay with just noting it and passing on if that's... Well, we did follow up the the teenage girls fighting over the bathroom with the high school classroom or high school lunchroom scene where you mm-hmm. get to see all of the social cliques because the best way to show 
all of the social interactions in a high school is just to spell it out by where people sit at what tables in a cafeteria. Mm-hmm. In a short amount of time, it, it does work easier that way because they probably didn't want to spend a whole a large amount of time hashing out the social structure of the high school, so they just choose, chose the easiest route so they could focus on more more important social aspects within like the difference between the sisters because it's something people would recognize. Right, right. It's pretty easy, quick, visual shorthand that then they could move on with their um, murder mystery investigation plot. Well, and I went through high school and, you know, maybe I just lucked out, but I don't remember ever having, you know, for one, that that all of the, uh, you know, jocks always wore their letterman jacket, regardless of whether you know, 24-7, but also, you know, the kids got shoved down and picked on right in the middle of the cafeteria that often. I I just missed that somehow. Yeah, cafeteria is not usually the place where kids get picked on. It's whenever they're outside for some reason or in hallways, where it's less likely for a teacher to be able to spot which one's doing the shoving. I'd Speaking from the experience of having that happen to me, I'm not the kind of person that bullies people in the hallways. <laughs> yes, we we weren't assuming that. <laughs> no, I'm the person that got my stuff knocked out of my hands in front of teachers. It was fun. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of the writers may be writing from experience. Uh, high school is not fun for, there's a lot of people it isn't fun for. Or junior high, you know, school in general, social interactions, people learning how to socially interact. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, some of the stereotypes that they use in the high school, writing high school students are stereotypes because they are unfortunately common. But uh, I, I thought that was all fine. None of it particularly bothered me. Let's see. One little thing that bothered me was why did... Sheriff uh, Koval, was it? Anyway, why did the Sheriff Collins, sorry. Uh, how did he know Kara, uh, Kara's name when she showed up from the woods at the, the scene of the uh, accident or murder of uh, Kenny? How, how has he, did he interact with her before with the, um, the thing from season two where she saved somebody from a burning car or whatever it was. Did he interact with her then? I just wondered how this sheriff knew this girl and why he didn't ask her how where she came from running out of the woods like that. Yeah, he. no one really questioned why she was there or because she came out of nowhere and she just showed up and no one questioned how she got there, what she was doing there, why she wasn't in school, why she had her backpack and her school stuff with her. Right. All of these are questions that bothered me a lot more than any of the high school dynamics. <laughs> I mean, I assumed it was a small enough town where the sheriff presumably knows like all all the families. So I so so that that that's how I imagined, you know, why he knew Kara's name. That and Kara's unique because she's adopted. So he might just be like, "Oh yeah, you're the the Danvers, the the adopted one." Um, let's see. Other other points of notes. It it was a little weird when um the investigation had been going on for a while and 
they had accused uh, Mr. Bernard of of killing Kenny to cover up the um, statutory rape of one of his students, Josie. Um, and then there was a car that almost ran Alex and Kara off the road, and uh, Kara saved saved Alex. Uh, and her mom was upset at the whole thing uh, about her getting about them getting involved in the, the investigation, and then Kara using her powers. So she said, "You won't listen to me. Here's someone that you'll listen to." And this woman turns around, and uh, Kara says, "Mom," and and went and hugged her. Um, and and it turned out to be not mom, but agent. Uh, whatever her name was from the FBI. And it seemed weird that uh, Kara could believe that easily, that it could be her mom after she had believed that she was dead. But I did call it that actually it wasn't FBI at all. It turned out to be Jean Jones being impersonating an FBI agent in order to tell Kara not to use her powers. <laughs> well, you know but- that be. He must have, like, looked into her mind to find an image that she would be most likely to trust her brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed weird that he would do that, though, and then just brush it off as a coincidence. Oh, I must just, I just have one of those faces that looks like a lot of people or something like that. So are we supposed to uh, understand that at this point in her life, the government is aware of her powers and her identity yeah they i think they bit they were officially aware of her around the time that jeremiah danvers had to go and work for the government so based off of some of the conversations that we hear between Kara and alex and eliza and the flashback you can assume that it's been some amount of time since Jeremiah was forced to go and work for the government to basically protect his daughters, but it's recent enough to where it's still kind of raw for Alex. Yeah, and I I still, um, I understand they had to, but it still doesn't click to me when I see the new actress that's playing Kara's mom. Every time she shows up on screen, I'm like, who is that again? Yeah, that is very strange, particularly because I think Laura Bernanti, who I think is her name, she made such an impression that she was, you know, such an important part of the show, and her and her mm-hmm. sister were such important parts of the show for the first two seasons that it's going to be, I think it's going to take a while for us to get used to the, to, you know, how we have a new actor playing this role now, and we have to remember that that is uh, Kara's mom. Yeah, I'm sure they can't help it, but it, it just makes it a little harder to, uh, you know, you have to keep stopping and thinking, oh, that's who that's supposed to be. Yeah, it it always takes time to get used to when they switch actors for characters. Yeah, I almost just kind of wish they'd used her a little bit less, um, you know, just so we could get to, you know, over time, get used to the character instead of her being in almost every episode. Maybe they're just trying to, you know, through showing her so often, help us adjust to it that way. I don't know. Force us to accept that that's her mother. <laughs> Instead of giving us time to adjust, it's just like, no, this is her mother. Accept it. Yeah, and so every time she appears, Kara will say mom to tell the viewers that this is who she's looking at. 
Right. We need that. <laughs> it's like they're training us. And of course, when when the FBI agent leaves, she again gets into the alien spaceship car because even back then, working for the DEO, he was still driving that same alien spaceship and didn't have any other vehicles available. <laughs> well, why not? If he has limited access to an alien spaceship car that no one realizes is a spaceship and it looks like a really nice car, why wouldn't you drive it around? That way he yeah. has the added security of if someone somehow finds out and comes after him, he can just peace out in his spaceship. Right, and plus, if he left it behind and took another car, what if he needed the spaceship car? Or what if he leaves the car, the spaceship car, in storage or something, and someone else finds it or something? I can understand wanting to keep your alien spaceship car with you when possible. Probably saves him a lot of money on gas, too. Because I <laughs> don't think that spaceship runs on gasoline. Right. So... Anyway, um, one of the points of Jean or, you know, the FBI agent being there is to once again try to convince Kara that she really shouldn't be using her powers now. He, uh, or rather, the agent extracts a promise from Kara not to use her powers. And, uh, you know, she promises. And then later when... Alex is in danger from the corrupt sheriff. She's pacing around, even after she hear hears the phone call about, you know, don't, uh, you know, this is, I'm at the auditorium, and he hangs, hangs the call up. And uh, she actually paces around for a little while before she finally decides to break her promise and go save Alex. And it's good not to want to break your promises, but I don't, feel that should have been a situation with pacing. <laughs> yeah, because your sister kind of has a gun pointed at her. You should probably <laughs> hurry. But the scene where she made her grand entrance and Alex is making that speech about like, she always hears me and she'll always come, especially when compared to earlier in the flashback when she was like, I don't have a sister. It shows the huge change that they that they've been through and that their relationship has gone through well and walking through the the story we've got the you know super detective Kara, and over the course of this flashback she is really convinced that three different people killed kenny mm -hmm. which saying it out loud i realize the you killed kenny bastard <laughs> Well, they actually used that joke in the show. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, she does leap to conclusions rather, and uh, she doesn't seem to have evolved that much from leaping to conclusions, even in the present day of the show. Which is why she's not actually an investigator. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she's a journalist who sometimes does her job. Mm-hmm. Well, but she does have the benefit of having unlimited and exclusive access to Supergirl as a journalist, so that helps. True, but ethically, citing yourself <laughs> is typically frowned upon. <laughs> but I guess if no one knows it's you, then it's fine. Hmm. But yeah, I'm like, I, I'm a journalism major, so you, you, you can't cite yourself. That's not how that works. Well, it's pretending to objectivity uh, when... 
when it's not, it's it's putting your own view across, of course. Yeah, I mean, there's there's much to be desired in the journalism world of National <laughs> City. <laughs> yeah, at least James was in the previous episode was willing to stand up against the running ads as articles. Because that's a big thing we discussed in my law and ethics class. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Just a couple more things about the um, flashback plot. Uh, it threw me out of the story a little bit when um, Kara was talking about, oh, Clark Kent has this friend Chloe. I'll send the computer hard drive to her to try and recover some of these pictures. And it pulled me out because uh, I was thinking, Chloe, uh, wouldn't wouldn't Clark have been, you know, beyond that? And uh, I mean, because in the pilot episode of uh, Supergirl, he's already wearing the cu- the cape, so you know they're they're certainly beyond Smallville at this point. And then I went and looked up Chloe on the internet and found out, you know, that uh, she has a life well beyond Smallville, the TV show, and that she's uh, an investigator there and turns into sort of a coordinator of uh, Information Bureau, and so she has a whole life. But it did throw me out just a little bit before I found all that stuff out, it, I, because I had to stop and think, you know, where is this show, uh, uh, Supergirl, in the Smallville timeline and all. So <laughs> that that just bothered me slightly. Um, it, it threw me off because I have no idea, because I haven't really watched Smallville. Right. So I'm like, I don't know who this is or why she's important at all. But I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna go with it. On the other hand, it's better than inventing super hacker girl, super hacker skills for either of the characters, or, you know, introducing a totally new hacker character who would who the girls would know who would be on for just one episode. So, you know, it worked out all right. It just I just think they could have done it slightly better somehow. I haven't watched Smallville, but that threw me off because they mentioned Zip Drive, which I a word I haven't heard for, you know, many years now. Yeah, I guess you know this is this was supposed to be a flashback from ten years ago. Right? No, I, I mean I, I I get it. It's just you know I I really have not heard anyone say the words zip drive in so long that that was kind <laughs> of interesting. I feel like it shows just how young I am, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> Basically, a precursor to a thumb drive. Yeah, like the size of a floppy disk, like like a like a big floppy disk. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I have more flash drives that I know what to do with, but when they say zip drive, I'm like, I'm just going to guess that's something like a flash drive. Right, right. So let's see what what else other topics. Um, the just the whole Kenny thing beyond his murder. Kenny was a person. He was an astronomer. He uh, had something of a crush on on Kara. He was willing to secretly tutor Alex in calculus and then took it when she re- rebuffed him, you know, his effort to sit at the table, uh, you know, without betraying secrets. But but it turned out he did have a lot of dirt on a lot of people. I just thought he was an interesting character. Um, and he knew Supergirl's or Kara's secret. Uh, it turns out they they deduce from a photo that he had of the Starscape that he must have known 
who Kara was and that she came from Krypton. So, um, well, there was a little bit of a shadow, and I think it was supposed to be her flying in front of the stars. But in this oh. episode, she really just jumped around. So, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's exactly what they were saying, but that was kind of what I took from it. Okay, that's a little better than just figuring it out from the starscape then. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, because that wasn't a super clear picture. But anyway, I liked that this kid who got murdered got a little more interest and depth to his character than just the plot driver. I, I liked that they filled him in a little bit and gave him some interest. And I liked that Kara said, you know, she wished that he was here now. And if he was, she'd give him a big kiss and right in front of everybody, um, whereas she had kind of shied away from his lean-in kiss offer <laughs> from when they were looking at the stars. Yeah. He he react, He responded to that very well. And just seeing them interact, how I thought it was going to go, is I thought it was, they were going to come back to modern day. And then they were going to run into him, and he was going to come become important, because I'm like, I really like his character. Mm-hmm. And then he died, and I was like, well, there went that plot line. Where are they going with this? <laughs> so we got an introduction to why Alex wanted to become an investigator. Yeah. Because she helped her little sister solve the murder of one of her friends. Because that's normal sister bonding activities. And we know that Kara has super laptop finding powers. (laughs) I figure that was just her x-ray vision. She was looking through the cover of leaves in the forest and uh, found found the laptop that had gotten buried underneath the the leaf cover. Yeah, because laptops are made of very different material than leaves. So it made it easier to find. Mm -hmm. I I think it was pretty impressive. It shows just how smart Kenning was that he was able to find a way to connect his telescope to his laptop to be able to take pictures with it. That That's pretty impressive technology, especially if he created it himself. Right. Right. He was obviously a smart kid, and it's it's too bad that we only got to see him for one episode, but I did, did like meeting Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Does anyone else have any other issues from the show that they want to discuss? I mean, it's not really an issue, but um, it, it's something that, you know, maybe it's just because I think about this a lot. It, it's So whenever time I see this sort of well-worn trope about how a metahuman or mutant has to suppress their powers, every time I think Charles Xavier had a really great idea in every universe who superpowered people should really have a school where they can, you know, just be themselves and learn how to control their powers. So much problems will be avoided. Mm-hmm. Because forcing people to suppress their powers is a really, really good way to create a supervillain. Yes. <laughs> And teaching people to be afraid of their powers is a good way to accidentally get the entire country frozen over. (laughs) Right, good point. (laughs) Yes, I had to speak a frozen reference in there. (laughs) Uh, And also, so another thing that I, I, you know, that was just a minor thing that came to me, but why would Alex and Kara be in the same history class if they're at different ages? Maybe it's AP history and people from different Grade levels are able to test into the class, but if if uh, Kara is such a poor 
English, I mean, poor, poor history student. That kind of undermines that idea. Yeah, you should know who George Washington is if you're an AP history, I'm assuming. Yes. If I, as so, a non-American, know who George Washington is. So, scratch that idea. There must be some other explanation. It was convenient to the story. That's probably the explanation. <laughs> because it was in the script. Sometimes it's the best explanation you can get. Well, this may point to the, the small town idea where... Like Alan said, the sheriff knows everybody and, you know, everyone has to take, if they're in high school, they all take the same history class together. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, that would make more sense and be much more satisfying answer than plot convenience. <laughs> Conservation of characters. <laughs> also do, did note that these teenagers seem to spend a lot of time outside, after dark, nowhere near civilization, and... Parents just don't seem to care that much. Those were simpler times 10 years ago. <laughs> also, I think some of them sneak out the window so their parents don't know. Because right. when Kara came back, Alex was mad because she knew she had snuck out. Yeah, and if, if this was set in the 80s, you know, like Stranger Things, it, it might be a little bit more understandable than, say, 2007. That the times were not that different back then. <laughs> I know, I was I was kidding. Something else that also came to me is, you know, the show uh very often will kind of comment on and hint at current affairs. Um and usually it's something political, but I, I I'm pretty sure they wrote this episode before the previous week, but you know, it would it would be nice if, you know, statutory rape and sex with minors weren't something that happens to be in the news right at this moment. <laughs> it was pretty on the nose. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this wasn't planned, but yeah, I kind of wish that it's something that, you know, we, we, we don't have to hear about all the time on the news in, in the real world. Yeah, it's always fun when there's a social issue that blows up and that just happens to be in an episode of a TV show and you're like, yes, yes, we know it's a problem. We're dealing with it right now. <laughs> Though I will say... Uh, good on, you know, young Alex for knowing that it is statutory rape and therefore not a great thing. Right. Yes. I. Yeah, it, I'm glad they included that. Well, it just underlines how much of a straight arrow uh, Alex has always been. Um, you know, she she draws her lines um, and they're mostly good lines. I have, you know, I have to say that it's but um She's she's always had standards, I would say, and um, it's just it speaks to the consistency of her character, and I like that. I like that it was her saying that, and not Kara. I do complain a little bit about Kara being the center of the universe of this show, but I must admit, you know, other other people do get some pretty good lines and arcs sometimes. Yeah, and the center of the universe thing does tend to happen when it's the main character of the show, but right. <laughs> Supergirl, the, the show's been pretty good about letting other characters share the limelight, like when James was going through his phase where he's like, I want to be a hero too, <laughs> which that seemed to finally calm down, and I, I'm kind of happy it calmed down a bit. Yes. Well, we do have the Alex moment where the flashback ends and we come back to the A plot and Alex is like, ah, I'm okay now. So so there's her development for the episode. I, I don't think they meant that she's totally fine now. It's more that she's coping now. I mean, 
You, I would be a little worried if she just bounced back and didn't have any problems after this. I think it was more of she was she understood why Kara brought her there and wasn't angry at her about it. And she knows that she needs to heal and that sometimes you just need to go home and take time to deal with things. And it'll be a while until she gets back to something resembling okay, but she's to a point where she's ready to let people help her, if that makes sense. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. something rough happens and someone's like, well, I'm going to help you right now. And you're just like, no, don't help me. I don't want your help. I want to just sit here and be upset. But then once you've had some time to just sort of deal with what's going on, you under- it's easier to understand what that person was trying to do and just to let them help you. Okay, well, if that's all the points that people want to make about the show. I will say one other thing is that um, Helen Slater does a really great job of playing Eliza as always, and so, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. always nice to have her, you know, in the show, even if it's kind of in, in small moments like this. Right, right. It's always nice to see her again. Okay, well, if that is everything, I'd like to thank the Incomparable Network for hosting us. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists for tonight and uh, David Schaub for his recap. Um, (laughs) I'd like to thank our audio editor, Seth. And of course, I would like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning into our podcast. And uh, if you want to join or follow the conversation with us, there's a Facebook group for the Incomparable Network. And there's also a Slack channel for the subscribers to the the, uh, network. So we'll be back with the next episode, some of us from the Supercast anyway. And we look forward to doing it again. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.